Oh, you guys were talking about the announcements. I was talking about the choir. <laughs> he deserves all the glory. Boy, that should light a fire in us. Amen. Amen. Last week, I uh, called this church to a time of prayer and fasting. Um, and if you weren't here last week, I, I don't have time to go back and re-preach the message or kind of walk through all of the pieces that went into that. Let me start by saying that the response was overwhelming. Based on our response, it seems like about 90% of the church is participating in this time of prayer and fasting. And so I expect to see good things. Amen? Amen. Over the next 28 days, I expect to see God's going to move powerfully during this 28 days of prayer and fasting. And, and yet, if you weren't here last week or you missed the opportunity last week to kind of walk through those things, and there are really, uh, there's five reasons why we laid out for us to uh, spend this time in prayer and fasting. And again, I can't go through all of those things. Um, and when I say 28 days of prayer and fasting, I decidedly do not mean fasting and not eating anything for the next 28 days. That's not what we're talking about here. And if you're interested in participating, it's not too late to sign up. You can still sign up. The way to do that would be to text the word PRAY to the number 417-815-7161. Text the word PRAY without the quotation marks uh, to 417-815-7161. If you do that, you'll receive a text back which does walk you through uh, the five reasons why we're doing this as a church, as well as some different options of what that might look like. Really, what I'm calling us to is at least one day per week of fasting and then praying all 28 days along with the larger purpose of what praise is praying for. And if you, if you were to text the word praise to 417-815-7161, then you will receive a text message every single day and if you haven't received it yet, but you texted, you probably did it wrong. You might have texted PARI, or you might have texted PRAY. This is a great idea, and I really think it's fantastic, which some did. And, and so didn't get signed up properly. If you did not receive a text message uh, for the last several days with a link to the devotion that was uh, prepared for us as a church each day, a different pastoral staff member is going to prepare a devotion, and we'll send those out at 5 p.m. for the very next day, along with deliberate prayer focus for us. And so if you haven't received those, try it again, and we'll make sure to get you included. If you cannot do the digital way, we do have physical copies that are out at the welcome desk. I encourage you not to do that, because already we've had changes in the prayer requests that we've changed at the last minute. And so um, that because we've already printed off for the next week, if any of those change or something comes up, we, we would much rather handle it digitally. So if at all possible, handle it uh, via text message. If you just cannot do that, um, go out and stop and pick up the physical copy of those devotions and prayer focuses, and the Lord will understand, okay? If you're praying just a little bit differently than everybody else during this time. Um, as part of this, I felt like we needed to take one more week and focus on this. And this wasn't necessarily something that I was planning on at the beginning of this year, but really sensed that the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to me to call us to this time of prayer and fasting. And, and as a part of that, some of us have done this before and it's not a big deal, right? Some of us have praying and fasting, that's something that's a part of what we do. And so it's like 
not out of the ordinary. However, I had multiple people who came to me this week specifically and said, I've never done this before. I've never taken time and fasted. I've never skipped a meal or didn't eat for a day in order to fast for a specific purpose. And so just had some people who came to me with some really great questions. And I don't want to assume that we all understand what's going on here, right? So I had somebody who comes to me and says, well, okay, wh why are we praying and fasting? Like, what's, what's the point? How does, how does that work? Like, what is, what is it we're trying to do here when we fast? And those are excellent, excellent questions. And so maybe for you, you never even questioned, okay, well, we're going to fast. But you never even question, okay, how do we go about that? And what's that about? And I think we need to. We need to stop and we need to ask the question of why are we doing what we're doing and how should we go about it? What should our heart and our manner be in this? This should be the kind of thing that we do not do lightly. And there's a couple reasons why I would say that. Number one, we should always remember that there were two men. And one of those men said, I fast two times a week. And another one said, have mercy on me, God, I'm a sinner. And only one of them went away justified. So we got to make sure we're doing this properly. And the other reason why I think we should be careful about it is that this is not a uniquely Christian thing. Many faiths, in fact, a case could be made for every faith includes some form of fasting as a part of it. In a couple of months, several months, I should say, Islam, all true Muslims will be participating in Ramadan, which is a time of fasting, and Eastern mysticisms and, and Buddhism. I know Buddha looks like he never even got anywhere close to, remotely close to a fast, but his disciples do, and they do regularly. It's a part of what they do. Buddhism, is that, that's a part of the faith. If you look at Native American faiths and, and Eastern mysticism, even the fasts are a part of having ecstatic visions and so if all of these faiths are doing this, boy, we better make sure that we're approaching this in the right manner, because if we don't, it's not a fast, it's a diet. Okay? And here's the other thing. In Christianity, we are not commanded to fast. Read your Bible. There's only one command by God to fast anywhere in Scripture, and it's in Leviticus chapter 16. It's the day of atonement, which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, which means nowhere in here are we commanded to fast. Jesus never commands us to fast. In fact, every time Jesus talks about fasting, he cautions us. And he says, be very careful how you do this. Do it in the right way. And so I don't want to take another week and talk about this, but I really feel like we need to. Because I want to make sure that we've got the right heart and the right motivations and the right disposition as we're walking into it in order that God would honor it, okay? So if you would grab your Bibles today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read three passages from Jesus' life where he is talking about fasting um, and, and, and just kind of see what we can learn from those about fasting and what we're trying to accomplish and how we need to do it and why we do it, okay? So if you don't have a Bible with you today, reach over and grab one of the ones that are in the seat somewhere around you in order that you might be able to follow along in scriptures. We believe that the word of God is the core of our belief. I mean, this is, this is what provides the truth for us. And so if we're going into a time of fasting, we want to make sure that we're doing it 
in the right manner, and this is where we're going to find that. So grab it. Once you have it, open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 9. In fact, all three stories are going to be in Matthew this morning, and if you have one of those church Bibles, uh, that'll be on page 814, page 814, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. This is, we'll start in verse 14. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Here's what it says. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, if Matthew is remotely chronological, if it's in order which we're not guaranteed that it is. But if it is, then this is happening after John has been put in prison because he said something that Herod the Tetrarch got mad at, okay? And if that's the case, these disciples are coming to Jesus and they're asking, what's different here? And they're not coming with ill motives. They are coming good people who have been following John, probably heartbroken as a result of the fact that he's in prison, he's not being delivered from it. And they're coming to Jesus and they're asking, why is it that we are fasting? Why is it that the Pharisees are fasting and your disciples are not? Now, even a chapter to the right or chapter 2 to the right in chapter 11, you don't need to flip there. But Jesus himself says that John came neither eating nor drinking. People say that he had a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Okay, so, so very clearly there's a difference between John's disciples and Jesus' disciples and their experience with their faith. Specifically in relation to fasting. And so they come and they bring a real question to Jesus. Not with ill motives, but ask Jesus, why is it that we're fasting and your disciples are not? Jesus' response is, uh, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. When Liz and I were getting ready to get married, we were coming up on 15 years now, and we're excited about our 15th anniversary, but before we were getting married, about three, four months beforehand, I realized something. I was working here at the church in the maintenance department at the time, and I realized that if I were to go home to Wisconsin and work leading up to our wedding, I could make more money there than I could here. I had connections with, and I had previously worked at a, um, a country club that was a really ritzy country club, a lot of rich people there, and I was a caddy. And I learned early on that if I would caddy for the older ladies, and I would roll up my sleeves, and I would bend over and pick up the golf ball very slowly, <laughs> that I would get much larger tips. And uh, so it's about three, four months before our wedding, and I realized that if I want to save as much as I can for that wedding, and for the post-wedding to have some funds to kind of rely on, that I could make more money in Wisconsin than I could here. So we decided that the last 10 weeks before the wedding, I was going to head back for 10 weeks, actually 11 weeks before the wedding, I was going to be gone for 10 weeks, 
and then I will be back for the last week before the wedding. It's a great idea. Um, the only downside, the only downside was that I would not be there for all of the wedding preparations. So, there were other downsides as well, uh, but that was, of course, the, the big one for me. So I was going to be gone for 10 weeks, 70 days, 1,680 hours, 100,800 minutes. 10 weeks I was going to be gone, working every day. And I worked hard, and I spent that 10 weeks saving and working and doing nothing else. I never once went out while I was back at home. I worked, and I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I worked, and I pushed hard. And the, the highlight of every morning, the highlight of every day was in the morning. Every morning I would wake up, and this was before text messages, and this was when Mark Zuckerberg was still at Harvard, and so the, the, the cutting-edge technology was Yahoo Instant Messenger. Mm -hmm. So I would go and I would sit in front of the computer every morning. For about an hour, we would message back and forth on Yahoo Instant Messenger. And that was what I lived for. That 10 weeks, that's what I was focused on. Nothing else had taste to me. But then when I came home, that last week beforehand, Oh, that was a celebration. And in fact, I've been celebrating ever since. Right? That's what Jesus is talking about here. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> I've been celebrating ever since. And Jesus is saying here that same thing. He's saying, why would they be fasting when, when the bridegroom is with them? This is a time to celebrate. Now, listen here. If you do not hear what you should be hearing in that statement, Jesus is saying something big. Because all through the Old Testament, who was the husband to the people? All through the Old Testament, who was the bridegroom? Isaiah chapter 62 Verses uh, uh, 3 and 4, or let me actually start in uh, 4 and go to verse 5. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall be no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Jesus is very clearly saying something. And you cannot read this statement without thinking and realizing that either Jesus was a lunatic or he was God. Right? He's not just a good man. This says it right here. And Jesus very clearly declares, I am the bridegroom, and when I'm with you, you do not fast. But there is coming a time when I will be taken away, and when that time comes, then you will fast. And he continues on, and he says in verses 16 and 17, 
No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. You've probably heard a sermon on those two verses right there. Well, guess what that's about, fasting. He says, make sure that you're fasting in a New Testament way. And what is the New Testament way according to him? It is about longing for God and God alone. It is about a desire for who is apart from us, the bridegroom. And so part of fasting is longing for a different place. Longing for a hope and a help from that place. That's what it says here. Listen, the bridegroom's with you. Why would you fast then? Fast when I'm gone. See, when I was in Wisconsin, I longed to be with Liz. And I assume Liz longed to be with me. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But there's a longing there. And that's what fasting is about, according to Jesus here. Okay, let's turn a page or two to the left to Matthew chapter 6. Okay, so just two pages to the left, a couple chapters to the left, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talks about fasting there. Again, actually, this is right after the Lord's Prayer. So after he gives a how to pray, he gives a how to fast, okay? So this is verse 16 is where we'll start in chapter 6. Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now there's a couple of things that should pop up in your brain when you're reading this. At least it pops up in mine. Number one, if you've never fasted before and you go a period without eating, so maybe it's just a meal, maybe it's a day, and you've never done that before, you will be surprised at how hard it is. You hunger right? And, and that can make you, literally there is a thing, hangry. It does not feel good to go hungry. In fact, God designed us for food. And I don't know if you've ever stopped and asked the question, why did God design us the way he did? I ask this all the time. I ask this, why did he make us hunger? Why did he make us thirst? Why did he make us a binary system of man and woman? If you don't know the answer to that question, you're going to have a really hard time in our culture figuring out why there's an issue. God designed us the way he designed us for a reason, okay? And he wants to teach us something about himself. He wants to teach us something about ourselves through it. So he didn't need to make us hunger and thirst. He didn't need to make it. We could absorb energy through the sun or we could produce it ourselves. He's the designer and he's the perfect designer, which means he could do whatever he wants. And he built us the way he built us for a reason. And all through scripture, hunger and thirst are about our desire for him. And our hunger and our thirst should point us to, I need God. I need him. And that hungering and that thirsting is something that should point us towards our desire for him. Right? And if we don't, it's a good thing. Food is good. He's designed it that way. 
if we don't have this good thing, we hunger after it. And it kind of puts us out of sorts. Which leads me to another kind of thing that pops up in my brain as I read this. It says, do not be hypocrites like those who are gloomy. How are they hypocrites if they're gloomy? Because here in chapter 6, verse, the very next verse, or in that same verse, verse 17, I'll say, but when you fast, he says, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret, and your, secret, or your father who sees in secret will reward you. Wait a second. If you're fasting, you feel gloomy. So how is it if you show that gloominess, you're a hypocrite? Shouldn't it be if you're dulling yourself up and you make yourself look all happy that you're the hypocrite? Right? Hypocrisy would be the Patriots complaining about another team for cheating. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you say one thing and you do a different thing. So how is it hypocrisy if you feel gloomy and then you look gloomy? Unless there is something that is said in the process of fasting that makes looking gloomy so other people see hypocrisy. So what is inherent to fasting? What is said in fasting that would make that hypocrisy? The only thing I can think of is this. That fasting declares to God our desire for him more than anything else. That fasting says to him, I want you, I want your help, I want what you can provide more than I even want food, more than anything else in my life. Now it's hypocrisy. Because if you do fasting in such a way that other people see in order that you can get pats on the back for your self-discipline or your spirituality, that's hypocrisy. Because you're telling God, I want you more than anything else, but in reality, no, you don't. You want the approval of other people. That's hypocrisy. Which means that in fasting, there is this inherent thing of saying, God, I need you. I need what you can give and no one else. I want what you can provide and no one else. I want you more than I want the bread that I eat. That is New Testament fasting. And he says here, so when you fast, make sure to fast in such a way that it is your Father who sees you, and he will reward you. One more story. Flip a couple more pages to the left. Go back to Matthew chapter 3. This is the last story I'm going to read you today. Matthew chapter 3, verse, let's start in verse 13. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Actually, it's before Jesus' ministry. So this is his baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. That's a pretty big deal. The fact that Jesus was baptized by John in order to fulfill all righteousness. 
The reason why that's important was that Jesus died for our sins, but he lived for our righteousness, right? If he hadn't lived the perfect life, his righteousness could not be imparted to us, but he fulfilled all righteousness, including being baptized by John, and in that we find our righteousness as we live, okay? So he says, no, it's necessary in order for me to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What a moment that must have been. Can you imagine being there that day and having heaven split open and the Spirit of God descending like a dove and then hearing a voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What a moment. Oh, to have seen that, been there for it. And then immediately after that, verse 1 of chapter 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter came. Immediately afterwards, after this incredible moment, it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. And he's there fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry, and then the tempter came. I don't know if you hear, again, a really close correlation between what's happening here and the Israelites. Being led by God out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, eventually into the wilderness. And they're there for 40 years. If, if the comparison is not obvious in your brain, think about it a little bit. And while they're there, they are disobedient. And now Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's there for 40 days. And while he's there, he is then tested with an opportunity to be disobedient. This is another one of those fulfilling all righteousness kind of moments, okay? But he's hungry after 40 days and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan comes to him and says, I've read the scriptures and I know what God can do. I remember when the Israelites were in the wilderness, and I remember that God spoke, and just by his word, he made something that did not exist before. He spoke, and there was manna, and they were able to eat. He says, if you're the son of God, prove it. I know God can speak and make bread, so you speak and turn these stones into rock bread. And Jesus replies, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth 
of God. Now, if before we weren't 100% certain about what is happening in this passage, you should be now. Because he is directly quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want you to flip back there with me. This is important, and I'm not going to stay there too long, and we can't read all of it, so I'm just going to read the little pieces of it. But flip all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, because this is what Jesus is quoting from. Deuteronomy chapter 8 on my Bible and the church Bible, it'll be on page 152. Okay, this is Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is Jesus quoting directly from this passage. Okay, so this has direct implications for us. In fact, I am convinced if you want to know what biblical fasting looks like, you should read Deuteronomy chapter 8 all the way through. Because it doesn't mention fasting one time in it, but Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a chapter about biblical fasting. Okay, So Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2, this is what he's quoting from, here's what it says. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3, and he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So what is this saying? This is saying that the whole point of manna, the whole purpose of manna, according to verse 3, is this. That they would recognize that the word of God is enough for them. That when they were in the wilderness and had no other way to eat, just the word of God spoke forth and made bread out of nothing. That's the point of manna. The word of God is more important than anything else to us. Okay? He said, and then the Lord's going to bless you and keep reading. And, and I wish I could read all of it, but I can't. So I'm going to skip down to verse 7. Here's what it says. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He says, God's going to bless you. He's going to pour out blessings upon you, and you are going to be full. And in that fullness, you'll recognize that our God is a good God who gives good gifts to his children. He said, but there's a danger in fullness. Verse 11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. 
Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. The whole point of manna was for them to recognize it is not by my strength, it is not by my power, but it is by his word. I didn't do this. God did. And let me tell you, this battle rages daily in our hearts. This battle daily is happening in my heart. I say to God, oh, I will be careful to give glory to your name. And then I see him answer my prayer, and I say, oh, I'm pretty great. Just yesterday or Friday, just the littlest thing, but about six months ago, my truck started having issues. So I did some things with it, and eventually I found out that one of the issues, at least, was a camshaft positioning sensor. If that sounds impressive to you, boy, I hope so. <laughs> right? Camshaft positioning sensor. Anyways, so there's two of them on the Nissan Frontier. And one of them's difficult to get to, bank number two. It's difficult to get to, but it's not as hard as bank number one. And so I was praying, oh God, let it be bank number two. And it was. And I worked at it, and I got it changed. And I was happy. All was right with the world. And then earlier this week, the truck started acting up again. Ran codes on it, and it was bank number one. And that one, oh, I'm just saying, it is back behind the engine. You have to lay on top of the engine to get to this thing. You got to reach around. I'm watching video after video on YouTube, and every single one of them said the F word at least five times. I mean, I'm watching them. I'm like, if that's a part of this, I'm a pastor, and I'm pretty sure I can't say that, right? And I'm like watching these guys, and I'm like, I am not going to be able to do this job. So I go out there, and I'm laying on top of the engine, and I'm reaching around to grab this thing, and I'm not able to do it. The problem is there's a wiring harness that goes right on the inside of it, and there's just no way to reach it, and you got to reach around, you got to just guess. I think that's pretty much the bolt that it's supposed to be, and you just start working on it without seeing a thing. And I'm working on it, and I'm working on it, and I'm working on it, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, eventually, I know I can't say that F word, so I'm saying, God, please help me. Please help me, Lord. 
help me with this. And eventually I just said, God, here's the thing. I cannot do this on my own. I need you and I need your help and I will be careful to give you all glory, honor, and praise for it. Boom, like that, it gets fixed. And you know what I did? I strutted my way inside. I opened that door and I said, woman, make me a sandwich. I'm taking you to bed, right? Like, because I'm a man. I am feeling every moment of that. And I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit say to me, what in the world? You just told me you were going to give me all the glory, honor, and praise, and now you're trying to take it for yourself again. Not by my might. Not by my power. And what is happening in Matthew chapter 4? Satan is such a contortionist. He is the only one that I know of who can take manna, which is supposed to be about completely relying on the Word of God and the Word of God alone, and turn it in order to use it as a temptation. Because what does he say? If you are the Son of God, speak and turn these stones into rock bed, bread. He says, if you have the power, Jesus... If you have the might, if you really are the Son of God, show your strength, because I know what God can do. But what he's trying to get Jesus to do is doubt God's word. Go back to chapter 3, verse 17. This is my beloved Son. Is his word true or not? Do you believe what he has to say? Or are you going to try to do it in your own might and your own power? Only Satan can do that. Manna is all about God's word is enough for me more than bread. And this is what fasting does. Fasting says, I do not have what it takes. I've tried it all, God, but ultimately I don't have it. And all my help and all my hope is in you and in you alone. And so I'm bringing it to you, and God, not only am I going to not try to show my own strength, but I'm going to even in my weakness, I'm going to fast. And I'm going to say, God, I cannot do this, and I will not take the glory. It's you and you alone. And in that, when we are weak, he is strong. That's fasting. That's why we do what we do. That's why we come to him and we say, God, I can't do it, but I trust you. And my help and my hope is in your word and your word alone. It's not in the power of my own arm. It's not in my strength. It's not in food, God, but I will be weak. And there's a question there. Why does it work? Why does fasting move the hand of God? Why does he respond the way he does to fasting? I don't know. Because I'm not God. And he doesn't tell us anywhere in here. But I have a theory. 
Because the overwhelming account of Scripture is this. In our weakness, His strength is made perfect. When we come to Him and we declare, I cannot do this, God. And I'm not even going to try to show my strength. And I'm not even going to try to show my might. But instead, I'm going to humble myself and say, all my help, all my hope is in you. The overwhelming account of Scripture is that God responds in that moment. Esther says, boy, I might die. And I don't know how this turns out. But fast for me, and then regardless of what happens, my faith is in him. And I'll step out, and God delivers the people. Jehoshaphat, the armies are closing on Jerusalem. And he says to the people, let's fast and pray. And then they stand before him and they say, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you, O God. And he delivers them miraculously. Why? Because his power is made perfect in our weakness. And if we approach fasting in any other way, that our self-discipline in any way results in a reward, then we are taking it and we are ruining it. It's not about our strength, it's about our weakness, it's all about his strength. And if you don't believe that, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 is very clear on this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is fasting. I've tried everything, God. I've given it my all. And nothing was good enough. So here's what I'll do. I will humble myself, God, and even get weaker. And I will lay it before you and I will ask you to move. And he will move. He might change the situation. He might change the circumstance. He will definitely change you. No doubt in my mind. He responds to weakness. When we recognize that we don't have what it takes to get his strength. When we recognize that we don't have what it takes to get his approval, that's when the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is appropriated, right? That's when we get it. It's when we say, okay, God, I can't do this. I need Jesus. That's when it happens. It's in our weakness that his strength shows. So we're fasting as a church for five reasons. Five things that we aren't going to go through, but you should know what they are by this point. My question is, Corporately, as a church, we're fasting and praying for that. What are you fasting for? What are you fasting for? What is the thing that has been entrenched for years? What is the thing that you've experienced setbacks in that you need a breakthrough? And you've tried it all. You've tried everything you can within your own power, but it has not been enough yet. What is the thing that you might lay before God and say, I am weak, God, and I trust and believe that you will be strong. What are you fasting for for the next 28 days? What are you fasting for in your life? 
in your family? What is the thing that you can't fix and only God can? Write it down. Put it on paper. Because I am convinced of this. That when we come to him and we say, I will not take glory for this. When I see the answer. I won't try to take it back to myself. But I will give all glory and honor and praise to you and you alone. And when you declare it and you expect it, I believe God will move on your behalf over these next 28 days. And I believe whatever it is that you write down, I don't know if he'll fix that situation. I do know he'll work in you 100%. But if you come to him and you say, God, I cannot do this. I need you to do it. And you humble yourself and you're weak. And you fast and you pray. I believe he'll move. And I believe we will have testimonies all across this congregation of how God moved in February 2019. But it's not about you. It's not about your strength. It is about what only he and he alone can do. And coming to him humbly, saying, God, I trust your word. And I need your word more than anything else. I don't have what it takes. But you do. That's fasting. And that's what we're doing. And if you haven't done it yet, text PRAY, 417-815-7161. And let's see what God might do in your situation over these next days. Would you stand with me today? Very clearly, scriptures obvious on the fact that we do not have what it takes to approach God but that he does it and he receives the glory for it and this morning if you're in here and you have not accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ you cannot get good enough to come to God right you can't try and work it up and then be good enough to come to him that's not the way it works instead it is by faith and faith alone that we are saved so this morning, you have an opportunity to do that very thing. And Romans is clear that we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. And that offer is made to each and every one of us. Not clean yourself up and come to God. Come to God. That's what it says. So this morning, if you're in here and you've never done that, you have an opportunity this morning to confess. And as I pray, I would encourage you to do that very thing. As I speak it out, as I confess Jesus Christ as Lord of my life, I encourage you to join with me in that. Let's pray. Father, Father, I don't have what it takes. Father, I, I, I don't have the strength. I can't work it up. I can't display my strength or my might. But God, I'm completely and totally and utterly reliant upon you. I long for your help. Because it's not here, it's in another place. My hope and my help rest in you and in you alone, oh God. And I see that when I come to that point, not trying to have enough self-discipline, but just recognizing my own weakness and declaring that and laying something before you, you move over and over in Scripture. We see that that's the case. So God, we come to you as those who can't do it on our own. But those who recognize that you are more than enough and that nothing is impossible for you. We rely upon your word. 
for that marriage right now that there is no hope for. I believe this month we will see a breakthrough. For that daughter who is not serving you today, I believe this month we are going to see a breakthrough. For those cells that are out of alignment, I believe we're going to see a breakthrough. We're going to see healing in it. For those emotional problems that we don't have the answer for, oh God, I believe we're going to see a breakthrough this month for this church. I believe we're going to see a breakthrough this month. That's all by your power. And we are completely and totally and utterly reliant upon you and your word. Not our strength, but yours, oh God. In our weakness, your strength is made perfect. And this morning, for those who are here who not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Oh Lord, it's not, it's not about earning it. When we try to earn it, we ruin it. It is coming by faith and responding to your call and seeing that in Jesus Christ we have enough. So we declare Jesus as Lord of our lives right now. You are Lord of my heart. You are Lord of my life. I put my faith in you right now that the scriptures are true of you. You are who they say you are. And all glory to your name today. Father, I just pray for everybody who would put their faith in you today. May they recognize it's not by their strength. It is by yours. It's not by their being good enough. It's because Jesus was good enough. It's not by their sacrifice. It's by Jesus. And may that be obvious to each of us today. In all of this, God, truly, 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 I declare to you that as we see answers, that as we see the hand of God move in these situations, we will turn all glory back to your name. We will declare that you are great to our families to this church, to our neighbors, to our co-workers. Let me tell you what God has done. We won't take it for ourselves, but turn it all back to your name. In the name of Jesus.